Hello and welcome to the sermon podcast for Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Churches. For this weekend's message, I thought that it would be good to take a break, to pause for a little bit before we start our summer sermon series. Now, for our summer sermon series, we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, and we're going to, as we go through the story of Exodus, we'll look at how the people, uh, the Israelites, had to go forward, move forward in difficult times into the wilderness. And we're going to look at some of the parallels between how we're living life now with all of the difficulties that 2020 has brought us. So I hope you can join us for that sermon series starting next week. But today I thought we would do something a little bit different and talk about how we have responded to and how we will continue to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. This has been quite a year. Although there has certainly been some good in the year, there's also certainly been a lot of negative things that have happened as well. And understandably, these negative things have overshadowed the good things in the news. Most recently, we've had another instance of police brutality, where a police officer murdered an African-American man. And this has resulted in protests around the world. And most of these protests are peaceful, although in some of them there have been some people who have started a violent protest that results in the destruction of property, the hurting of other people, and in some cases, even more loss of life. People are angry not just because of the murder of an African-American man, although that would be enough, but also due to the larger systematic racism we have within the structure of our American society. Now, as members of the United Methodist Church, if you are a member of the church, one of the membership vows that you would have taken at the time that you joined was to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And so... On behalf of our local United Methodist Church, I condemn the many instances of police brutality that occur on a regular basis in America. I condemn systematic racism in whatever form it presents itself. I also condemn the rioting, the hurting of others, the destruction of businesses and property as an unhelpful response, while acknowledging that oftentimes when people react with uproar and violence— It's because the other methods, such as kneeling and marching, haven't worked, and they feel that they are out of options as white America continues to fail to acknowledge the reality of the problem. They feel as though their problems are are not being acknowledged as real. And so I pray for mutual understanding amongst everyone, including different races and different political leanings. But I want to switch back now to the issue of the pandemic and our response to it. As many of you know, the world changed around us around the middle of March. Of course, the pandemic actually began much earlier than that, but mid-March is when it really hit Iowa. March 15th is when we had our last in-person worship service. The coronavirus had come to our county. And since then, everything around us just changed. Schools and most businesses have closed, and churches have had to adapt using new technology. Now, at first, we canceled just about everything on our calendar, and we just moved worship online, which was actually pretty easy to do. We already recorded our service and put the sermon online, so it was just a matter of getting the worship service in all the right digital spaces. But nonetheless, many of our worship volunteers had to adapt their schedules to record earlier in the week to make it work, and so we've been grateful to them for that. 
and it's been hard to get used to worshiping in an almost empty room. But gradually we've figured out how to do much of the work of the church. Committee meetings, fellowship, and Bible studies have been moved online using software programs such as Amplify and Zoom. Pastoral care now consists of letters and phone calls. Even the way we do funerals has had to change because funerals are smaller now and they usually only involve family. We mourn the fact that there are many people in our congregation who are unable to attend funerals for people that they knew and loved. So far in the Harlan First Church, we've lost two people, Darlene Hylison and Jean Friend. Two people who were both strong in their faith and in their service to others. And we give God thanks for their lives and their example that they leave to us. We also have changed the way that we serve our community. People are sewing masks. We're still giving to the food pantry, and we're grateful that our church can host the summer feeding program, which is a grab-and-go format now. Now, as things have begun opening back up and people are getting used to the idea that this pandemic will last much longer than we may have thought, some people are wondering what the church is going to do. Well, the Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is the statewide body of the church, has put out a three-stage approach to opening up the church. This three-stage approach is based on science and what health and infectious disease experts are telling us is best. See, we like to look to the experts because we are not experts in the fields of health for the most part. And so, we, you know, I, I have not trained, I have not dedicated my life to being a medical expert or knowledgeable in infectious diseases. I, I'm a pastor. And so I know that I don't know everything. And so we look to the experts because they have dedicated their lives to this. So the conference has put out a three-stage approach to opening up the church. And so these are called the red phase, the yellow phase, and the green phase, just like a stoplight. Now, we've been in the red phase since March 15th, and we are still here, so we're not really going to talk much about that. That basically means we stop. We stop all or almost all in-person activities. But in the yellow phase is a little different. Now, when our county, Shelby County, has coronavirus cases decreasing for a period of two weeks or more, not just remaining steady, not just a slight decrease, but a noticeable decrease over two weeks. That is when we will enter into the yellow phase. And this is when we can resume in-person worship services. But even then, it's not going to look like what you're used to. There are going to be stipulations and guidelines in place to protect you and to protect others. So in both churches, our sanctuary capacities are going to be reduced so that individuals and family groups from their from homes can sit at least six feet apart from one another. At Monroe Chapel, we'll probably meet in the Fellowship Hall to make that more possible. At Harlan First, we will mark seating areas, and you will be encouraged to reserve your spots so we know how many to expect, and so that hopefully we don't have to turn anyone away. Wearing masks will be necessary for the protection of those around you, as well as your own protection in case you are sick and you don't know it yet. So if you come to church and do not have one, we will have extras on hand. We'll try to have some extra disposable masks on hand. But if you don't currently have a mask at home, I would encourage you to get one. Because otherwise, we're, we would have to have 
bulk supply of disposable masks all the time, and that's not really feasible. And we'd hate to have to turn you away because you don't have a mask. So don't assume that we have masks, but if you do come without one, we will hopefully have one for you. So in order to reduce items commonly touched, all hymnals, Bibles, notepads, pencils, and bulletins will be removed from pews. During the service itself, congregational singing, unison prayers and responses will not be a part of the service because it is known that the virus can spread much further than six feet when singing or talking loudly, even with a mask. Now, for Harlan, first, those leading the service in the front can sing because we know that there's at least a 12-foot difference or 12-foot distance between the people leading the service and the congregation. But congregational singing would not be something that we do. Of course, fellowship times and food will not be a part of church life. In fact, visiting with one another before or after worship will be discouraged. The best way to do that is if you can do it at six feet apart and ideally outside. And still, even with all those safeguards in place, those over 65 and those with underlying health conditions would still be encouraged to stay home and worship virtually. During the yellow phase, I would not be as sociable as I usually am as pastor. Instead, I would come in right when it's time for worship to start, and then leave right after the service is over. Now, to some people, these measures may seem excessive, but again, they are based on the recommendations on the conference, which comes from those who are experts in the field of infectious disease. And they don't seem to think that these measures are excessive. Now, many of you have told me that you you have no desire to return to worship under these conditions. Some of you feel that there's no point in returning if you can't sing and you can't talk to people and things like that. Perhaps it feels more worshipful at home than at church. And that's one reason why we haven't been in a hurry to resume in-person worship, that and the fact that we are not yet in the yellow phase. But the reality is, however, that eventually we're going to decide that it's time to resume in-person worship. And if there isn't a vaccine yet, we're going to have to come to terms with this new way of worshiping because the yellow phase with all these precautions in place will most likely be the reality for worship until there is a vaccine or number of cases dramatically decrease to zero or near zero. And that could be as long as one to two years. It could be shorter, but it could be a long while. And I know that this is not what we like to hear, but it's reality. The pandemic is not over, no matter what some people may want you to think. Things are not yet getting better here, and even when they do, experts predict that there will be a big jump or a spike in the fall and winter, perhaps worse than we've seen so far. And I don't say that to scare you, but only to acknowledge that this is a larger and probably a longer pandemic than we may want to admit. And it's going to affect our lives longer than we may want to admit. But it will not last forever. I believe we will eventually have a vaccine. And when we do, we will then be able to move to the green phase, which basically means we can return to normal worship and fellowship activities. So now that we've talked a lot about the logistics of life, I want to talk about the spiritual side of things. How should we respond as faithful Christians to this pandemic? Well, a faithful response includes three things. Faith in the midst of fear, wisdom in the midst of worry, and prayer over panic. 
First, faith in the midst of fear. Oftentimes I hear the idea that as Christians we should choose faith over fear, and that sounds good. I mean, it's a very religious term. It's a, it's a good way to live life is to choose faith over fear. That's a good thing. But oftentimes what's meant by that, when people say we should choose faith over fear, what they mean is that we should ignore the recommendations of the experts. In fact, I've heard many church leaders proclaim that we should choose faith over fear as rationale for resuming in-person worship services without many of the recommendations in place that can reduce the spread. Faith over fear, then, comes to be measured by whether or not you're willing to live normally as though the pandemic doesn't exist. Interestingly enough, those same church leaders will also say that if you don't feel safe or if you're older or have an underlying health condition, feel free to stay at home. But that sounds outright contradictory. Because I don't know if they intend to communicate this message or not, but the message being communicated is that if you stay home, you're choosing fear over faith, which means you're a bad Christian. So I am here to tell you today that if, when we decide it is time to return to in-person worship, you choose to stay home longer, you are not lacking faith. It is not a matter of faith over fear. Faith and fear are not mutually exclusive as though fear is somehow bad. There's nothing inherently bad or wrong or evil about fear, and as we learned in our small group study, Unafraid, fear can be a very good thing if it keeps us safe from danger. And it's also, quite frankly, unrealistic to think that we can live without fear. No, instead of faith over fear, I like faith in the midst of fear. Because, you see, when we have faith in the midst of fear, we can be courageous. If you don't have fear, if you're not afraid of anything, and you just have faith, then you're not acting in courage because you're not afraid of anything. If I do something I'm not afraid to do, that's not courage. It's only when I live faith in the midst of fear that I have courage. Faith in the midst of fear leads us to be creative, to find new ways to be faithful followers of Christ that are safer instead of thinking we can only do things the way we used to do them. In 2 Chronicles 32, verses 1 through 8, there's the story of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah is getting ready for an impending invasion by another nation called Assyria. So they're worried because Assyria, it's pretty certain that they're going to invade. So what do they do to prepare? Did they choose faith over fear and just pray that God would magically protect them as they continue to live life as though there were no invasion coming? No, of course not. If you read these verses, they prepare. They stop the waterways. They build up walls. They acquire weapons. They got ready and they trusted God. They took precautions and they trusted God. They chose fear in the midst of they chose faith in the midst of fear. They prepared, they lived differently, and they trusted God. And in the same way, when we wait to resume in-person worship, and when we have all these precautions in place when we do, we are also living a life of faith in the midst of fear. We are trusting God and preparing and making adjustments. And there's nothing wrong with that. So the first thing we want to do as Christians is live with faith in the midst of fear. Secondly, we want to choose to live with wisdom in the midst of worry. Now, worry is one of those things that doesn't really hardly ever do any good, but we all do it, let's admit it. And sometimes worry can be good if it prompts us to action, but so often we pray, f- we worry about the things we can't control. 
We can't control the pandemic completely, but there are some things we can do to dampen its severity, such as social distancing and wearing masks. And those who are living life as though there is no viral invasion may not be worried, but I'm not so sure it's that wise or thoughtful of those who may be more vulnerable than they are. Because, you see, the whole, the whole thing is you can't assume you aren't sick just because you don't feel it. And that's so counterintuitive to us because we're so used to thinking that we are sick when we have symptoms, when we cough, when we sneeze, when we have a fever. And that's why we like to have an illusion of safety if we go somewhere and people are taking the temperature of people before they enter as though that somehow promises that they're safe and that they don't have a virus. There's nothing saying that you don't have the virus if you don't have a fever. That's the whole thing. And so the idea that you're safe if people's temperatures are being taken is simply that. It is an illusion of safety because we like to feel like we're in control when in reality we're not. And so choosing wisdom in the midst of worry means that, first of all, we acknowledge that worry is not productive, but we also acknowledge we're still going to do it. But nonetheless, living with wisdom in the midst of worry means that we are going to be wise. We're going to be take, take the precautions in place that the experts recommend. It means that we do what we can to protect ourselves and others, and then leave what is out of control in the hands of God. And that brings me to prayer. Prayer over panic. Now, of course, panicking is something that we don't ever want to do, right? But prayer is something we can do in any situation, even if we're isolated at home. You can pray for the world, you can pray for peace, you can pray for a vaccine, and you can pray for others. And in so doing, instead of directing our energies to only fear and worry and panic, we are redirecting our energies to connecting with God and with others through prayer. And the best kind of prayer ultimately leads us to faithful action, serving others in creative ways, and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, as we continue moving forward, may we choose faith in the midst of fear, wisdom over worry, and prayer over panic. Amen. God bless. I hope you have a great week. By the way, if uh, you notice that my voice seems kind of dry, uh, it's not because I'm sick, I promise. It's because uh, I'm taking a medicine um, that can actually make me have a dry voice from time to time. So some days I randomly have a drier voice than other times, but uh, I'm doing okay. So hope you all have a great week. God bless. I'll talk to you next week.